0: You are listening to the message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Well, I have a message I want to share with you tonight. And in actuality, this this message uh, came about by a divine prompting that the Lord gave me. And I had a message put to the side. Uh, these weeks i have been getting two or three messages at a time. So I write down and I prepare everything. And I prepare the, uh, the outlines for them. But I don't always get to share because as the week approaches, something happens. And God gives me something new and something different. Well, this past Thursday, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me very strongly. And I was in my uh, Spanish prayer meeting, so we have a Spanish language meeting here at 5.30, and uh, have an audience, but not here. The audience is online. That's why the light and all these things, because we, we um, put all this stuff out online. Uh, we thank God we have a new camera here, too. So this is a quite a nice one. It's a, a nice 4K uh, camera, high-quality video device, so uh, the things that George is processing from the media department will be nicer, prettier, clearer. So we're going to we're shoot for an image of something that's very pleasant, and I also want to do that interview format. I want to set up a type of almost what looks like a little living room where I can interview people and as they come and they speak, I can direct them with questions, and we'll edit that in such a way that it's concise so there'll be some consistent information from different streams, different personalities, different people, and we wanna develop as much media as we can to help reach people, and so we're excited about all opportunities to do so, and we're blessed. Uh, that we were able to have this, uh, the ability to get this piece of equipment as we move forward. We also uh, need a, a better computer with it. We're using an older computer now, so we we'll still keep praying and believing if uh, you have a more recent macbook and you've updated to a better one and you have one that's better than the one we have and you want some place to put it we'd be happy to use it uh, of course we want a decent processor with the right graphics to be able to process our video and do that but uh, we're excited and god's god is uh, opening the door for us to do that well this past thursday i was praying in spanish and usually it's just prayer but the lord gave me a passage of scripture And I began to share on that scripture. And when I was sharing, the power of God came very strong on me. And at one moment when I was speaking, it became so strong uh, that I was quite dizzy. And I couldn't focus. And my legs were shaking. And I thought I was going to fall as the glory of God came upon me. And uh, if you've not seen, I actually, it was on recording. What I did not realize when that was happening was something strange happened with the lighting. And primarily, probably, you know, after speaking to more photographers, it's likely the f-stop did something crazy, you know, that it let too much light in. But the reasons why are unknown. It was one minute, 20 seconds of this over illuminated sequence within a 45 minute presentation. And the irony of it, if you would, and I tend to want to take a leap of faith and say that it was a supernatural thing, was it's precisely when I felt that overwhelming power, and it's precisely when I'm speaking accordingly. And so in Sp- I, I put it online, if you're interested to go look at it, I actually put subtitles, because it's in Spanish, but I put the English subtitles underneath. And there's a moment where uh, I'm completely overcome, and I say, I don't know if you feel what I'm feeling, but I feel like I'm inside of a cloud of light. And so I, you know, I say things like that all the time. But afterward, when I saw the video, I was like, wait a minute. What happened? How did it get so overexposed in that short sequence? But that was precisely when it happened. In that moment, at that time, it was very interesting to see uh, how that happened. So, but while I felt that, he spoke to me and spoke through me. And I'm going to carry that information over into this service now to share with you. In fact, it was so powerful, I came back here uh, yesterday. I had to run some errands and had to uh, get something from my wife here, and there was nobody in this room. It was empty, and I walked to the back. I put the microwave uh, that I was carrying to the house to use down, and I came over here, and I wanted to find that buzzing sound that my speakers were making. So I turned it on, and I did some tests. As soon as I touched the keyboard, it happened again. That power came upon me as I was by myself, and I I almost lost control of myself. I wept and cried, and I was so encouraged and so blessed. Is so strong, I couldn't play the keyboard any longer. So I just kind of paced and prayed and talked to my king about his greatness and his wonders. And so I'm hoping that I will be able to, in some way, transmit some of this experience with you tonight. Amen? And I have a PowerPoint to lead us in this called The Process of Hope. And in this, we're going to read a couple of scriptures that are famous scriptures, nonetheless, wonderful passages. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So here you see that those who do what? Who hope in the Lord. There's another translation that's famous where they say those that wait upon the Lord, but I like hope because it's the focus that we're doing, and this is from the New International Version. We also know a famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, for I know the plans <clears throat> I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. How many of you believe that God listens to you? Uh, Sometimes we don't always feel that, but here's God telling us in his word that he does listen to us when we come, when we call on him, when we pray, we see calling, coming to him, praying to him. All those things need to be done for us to make this kind of connection with the spirit. You have to separate a time to communicate with him. You have to sanctify that moment. I often say to people, be careful not to multitask on God. Uh, Don't be trying to pray while at the same time perusing your Facebook news feed and checking things. It can be so distracting, and you know the enemy will use that. Sanctify the moment for God. Pray to him. Talk to him. They who call on me, come to me and pray to me. He says, what does he say? I will listen to you. It's a promise. Uh, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So there's different levels of seeking, right? We can see God with half a heart. We can see God with 75% of our heart. Or we can see God with 100% of our heart. God likes that. God likes our full attention. And that's where we need to understand that sometimes we do not completely connect with God because we're not doing it 100%. We're not absolutely separating that moment. We need to strive to do that. I read today where Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, he said, to come into the kingdom. Now, he was referring to actual salvation because somebody asked, how many then? Well, just just a few are going to get saved? And he said, well, make every effort to enter through that gate. I see that effort having to be made for us to press in, we call it, or go into the presence of God. You have to put effort forward. You have to use 100% of your heart to get in. And I believe, as he's saying here, I will be found by you declares the Lord. So he's got plans for us, as it says here in this verse, and usually we just read that first verse, 11. He says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. But for us to find out about those plans, for us to receive that hope and that future, which is designed in the plan that he reveals to us, we're going to have to go to him. We're going to have to call out to him. We're going to have to pray. And that has to be with 100% of our heart. And I believe that all of us know and accept that our heavenly father has great plans for us. How many of you believe that God has great plans for your life? He does. He's got a great agenda that you might not know everything about but his plans are secure for you and he's going to reveal those things to you as you move forward he says when we seek him we will find him and I take him at his word where it says this and this famous passage of scriptures uh, given hope to millions of people through the years as it does to us tonight but God wants to prosper you he wants to bless you he wants to give you a future however, In life, there seems to be many obstacles, difficulties, if you would, or barriers that seem to complicate our ability to maintain our hope. Sometimes our hope wanes or becomes less. Sometimes we lose hope. I was recently talking uh, to a friend of mine in another country, and that's what he was saying. He just didn't have hope. He was losing hope. So I started talking to him about how to cultivate that hope, where hope comes from. What is the source of hope? What is the process of hope? How do we find that hope? And it is God's purpose to bless us, but we need to keep our hope constant. I believe that everyone has unsubstantiated dreams. Maybe that's part of your uh disillusionment or your your lack of hope. How many of you ever hoped in a thing and hope deferred has made your heart sick, like the scripture says, in this dream you had, this vision you had about where you should be by this age? Have you ever played that game? And you remember when I was uh, thus and such age, I knew that by my age today I will have reached a certain level, but now I'm in that time frame and I have not seeing substantiated my claims from before. And maybe you even lose a little face. And you don't remind everyone of what you said back then. You just kind of accept the now. But that is hope deferred. Doesn't mean you're not going to realize every dream that God has given you, whatever your passions or your longing is. But hope is an elusive creature. Hope is like a snow leopard. Sometimes hard to find, hard to photograph. For many years, no one had a real photograph of a snow leopard. Just some blurry images because it is so seclusive. It is so elusive to people because it has to survive and it camouflages with the snow. But it is a real thing. I also believe in Sasquatch. But the snow leopard is proven. They have pictures. Hope can be like that sometimes, especially when we've lost it. And I believe that everyone has had these experiences, and so therefore they have a battle. And life is going to try to steal your hope. Well, Satan, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have life. So already we see two different founts or two sources of things in life. If you want to lose hope, Satan will help you out with that. He's really good at destroying your hope. He wants to do that, especially when we're suffering or in difficulty. It's hard for us to maintain hope. In this message, uh, we're going to examine the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Now, I talk about this story often, and my conclusions vary from message to message. But it is one of my favorite stories. And it was during an explanation of the man at the pool this Thursday, that I was speaking on his behalf, that I connected with him, and I understood. And in that moment, that's where the power of God came to me. And I'm praying and hoping that you will have such an experience also tonight, that God, his power will come to give you hope and give you strength. So we're going to see five steps to wholeness. Uh, Would you be made whole, Jesus asked often people. Do you want to be made whole? He's going to ask this man at the pool of Bethesda the same that question. But my answer is absolutely. Yes, I, I want to be made whole. I want to be complete. And so these five steps we see here. Step number one is hope for wholeness. Hope for wholeness. We're hoping to be better off than we are. We're hoping that if something's missing, we'll be able to fill in the gap or supply what is lacking the scripture in the story starts here in the first verse of chapter five of the gospel according to john some time later jesus went up to jerusalem for one of the jewish festivals uh, because jesus was a good jew and Jews had to participate in certain festivals. It was part of their culture. Jesus didn't miss a festival. He loved going to them, as did all Jews. So here he is. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And these are these covered sections that as the people approached the pool, they would be able to stay in the shade and not be burnt by the sun. And here in this place, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I've made many associations with these categories, blind, lame, paralyzed, as figurative of sometimes our mental state or our spiritual state. But it could also be that we are actually blind or lame or paralyzed. But I see it for me sometimes that some circumstance in life, maybe I'm blinded to some truth. Maybe I'm in ignorance. And that's what's stopping me. That's why I'm not whole. Or maybe I'm lame because some part of my life is incapacitated for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe I'm hurt. Maybe my heart is crushed. Uh, Maybe my mind does not work so well whatever the case. Maybe there's some area of my life that is completely frozen, and that is like paralysis. I'm paralyzed or I'm in a relationship that has bound me up. Maybe I'm connected to an individual. Maybe I'm a young man with a girlfriend. Maybe I'm a young girl with a boyfriend. And this codependent relationship has come to a point where there is even a toxicity that has evolved between the two, but yet you can't seem to separate. And so you find you're in a trap. Have it been a relationship like that? Not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be boy or girl. It can be a friend of any kind. Uh, from my experience, it can be a ministry relationship, it can be a relationship with a pastor, it can be a relationship with a brother in Christ, it can be a relationship with a fellow missionary. Hello, I've experienced that through the years. And I feel that I'm paralyzed and helpless to make changes. So I'm looking for wholeness in so many different areas of my life. And of course, this, these people are literally sick, and they're looking for help. A great number of these people, they're gathered there in this place of expectation and hope. In other words, no one just embraces your incapacity or your inability. You don't just say, well, you know, I'm weak, and that's it. Too bad. No, you have a hope to become better. If you get a cold, you don't suddenly say, well, I guess I'll have the cold for the rest of my life. Now, from now on, the rest of my days, I will have flu and I'll have these symptoms. No, you have hope that you will get better. Actually, you have no guarantee of getting better. Have you ever had a cold last a very long time and you questioned whether it would ever go away? Or am I ever gonna get past this sinus condition or this issue? We know and we have hope in wholeness. We're looking to make our way through every difficulty. And these people, of course they wanted to be made whole. That's why they're there. It's interesting they use this name Bethesda to name all different hospitals on the earth today. You'll see this hospital called Bethesda because they're naming it after this fascinating story in the scriptures this is a real place it's historically proven I'm even going to share some archaeological supplementation about the water and the stirring of the water and some things that they found in Jerusalem that are fascinating that do in fact kind of prove this place was real so all of us has something uh, that we are weak in something that is an inability but we have a hope of wholeness how many of you are hoping for better days. Even if your days are great, there's always something that bothers you that you would rather not have to deal with. And it's so funny, you can have everything perfect. You can have 99% of your life flawless, and if there's 1% that's screwed up, you're going to be miserable about that 1%. It's so annoying when there's 1% of your life that's not the way that you want it, and so you're hoping for wholeness. Step number two, hope for healing. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he or she had. So these people that are there, they're hoping for wholeness. That's why they're there. But there's another level of hope where they're hoping in this supernatural thing that according to the custom, which is a little dubious, and I'm going to explain that in a minute, where the custom was or the legend of that pool was that an angel... For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well and of whatever disease they had, if it was leprosy, fine. If it was dropsy, fine. If they were epileptic, whatever the issue, they had tumors, they had growths or whatever. If they could be the first one of the many people there there at that pool to make it in after the water stirred, the legend stated that They would be healed. And you say, well, Stephen, why are you calling it a legend? It isn't the word of God. Well, there's a little debate about that in the theological realms. In fact, if you get new scriptures uh, like the NIV and the NIV UK and these different versions, they omit verse 4. In fact, you'll find just a number 4 in parentheses, and it goes straight to verse 5, because some say uh, post-fact they added this verse to explain why the people were always hanging out at that pool. So this caught my attention when I was studying it to think, well, this is a lot like what we find when we have hope in supernatural things. I have experienced many amazing supernatural things, but there's something about a supernatural occurrence in our life. There's something about a supernatural manifestation. It cannot be proven easily. Sometimes your spiritual experiences, for instance, will not have a physical manifestation, but they are extremely important to your spirituality. And it's difficult. I'm often challenged. Every Friday, I meet with an atheist and we talk, and he goes after me. And he goes deep into my psyche, he's trying to get in my head, he is, in fact, it's his ministry is to prove God doesn't exist, he, like, my mission is to prove God is real, this man's mission is to prove he doesn't, and he's very good at it, he tried, now, don't worry, you know, your pastor's not going to suddenly say, I don't believe in God anymore, and of course I believe, and I like to hear his logic, because it helps me know how to speak It develops my skills in apologetics. How do you talk to someone that doesn't believe in Christ? Well, you'll never know. How do you talk to someone that absolutely denies the existence of God? Well, you don't know until you talk to the person that doesn't. And it's interesting because we sit and we talk and we have interesting conversations. And he has caused me to question a lot of things about not what I believe is real because I'm secure, but how to convey those experiences to people who do not. So I'm in, a, I'm in a dilemma with him. And most people you talk to, I can just take the word of God out and talk to them about scriptures, and they will listen to it. But any reference of scripture to this man that I talk to, who knows the Bible as well as I do, he immediately knows and then goes back to the roots of that scripture and names all of these theologians who've said this not real. And he, he's a really intelligent man. He's brilliant. And so uh, we talk about these things. But this though, this passage is questionable about whether or not it was in the Bible to begin with, because it is talking about a supernatural thing. First of all, I do believe that people were healed because I believe in healing. I believe in the supernatural. And I've had many experiences I cannot prove. I like the movie with Jodie Foster that Carl Sagan wrote the story, Contact. You ever see that movie? Really good. And she had this supernatural experience traveling through time and space. But when she come back, no one believed her. In fact, when they didn't believe her, she went before a congressional hearing because they spent trillions of dollars on the project that aliens gave some blueprint. It's really a fascinating movie if you like sci-fi like I do. But in that case, she could not prove it. And she was so frustrated. And she said, it's just, but it's real. I know because I experienced it. And that is the nature of such experiences. But the outcome of this was people could really get healed. The outcome in my life of my supernatural experiences with the Lord, my hope in that supernatural realm is my joy, my refreshing, my uplifting, the renewal of my hope, all of these things. And that's what we see here, hope for healing in that realm. And so in the newer translations they omit this, but hope is established upon something that is not yet a reality. It's the same definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? The evidence of things invisible. How can I have evidence or proof of something that is not visible? And I like the old thing that people often say was, show me love. Can you substantiate love? But believe me, when you feel love for someone, it is very real. But you cannot show it, can you? But when there are you're at odds with someone that you love, you suffer mentally, emotionally, even physically. You will become ill because that love is so tangible and real to you. Some may say, well, it's a psychosomatic syndrome that causes you later to affect your own physical being. Whatever the case, an invisible thing called love can cause people to jump off the top of buildings and from high bridges. Is that not true? Yet, why can't they? And you think often, well, men, why would they have to commit suicide? Why would they have to feel that way? Well, just get over it. Move along. But it's not that easy, is it? Because love is real, but it's invisible. And so it's the same with hope for the miraculous. It's the same with hope for, for experiencing things in Christ. It's the same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. It's the same with prophecy. It's the same with encounters with God. Things that happened to me. Things that happened to me this past week. You know, I've discovered that it's, it's, it's not too difficult to reason your way out of spiritual experiences. In fact, it's easy for you after you've had a supernatural encounter, if you do not maintain your hope, it's easy for you to begin to second guess whether or not you really had an experience. I've seen people have profound experiences and, and have a renewed life as a result. But as time went by, they began to question whether or not that experience was valid. You see this with Christians. Many now are falling away from the church. Many are no longer following Christ. They're becoming disillusioned with the church. For whatever reasons, it's usually a man thing, not a God thing, that we have a problem with some relationship with people. And I always beg people, please don't blame God for man. I met that man that was from New Zealand, and I spoke to him. I'd never met him before. He was walking down the street in Little India, had a deep conversation with him, and he had left the church many years ago because of a difference he had with a pastor that his best friend was sick, and he wanted to pray for his friend who was not a believer, and so he told his pastor. He was in his early 20s. told his pastor, and by the way, let me give you a little history about this man from New Zealand. He was studying theologically to become ministry. But he was still very young. His friend became very sick with cancer and was dying. And he just wanted his pastor to go with him to pray for him. But when he told his pastor that his friend was dying, can we go pray? His pastor, for whatever reason, he says, well, the wages of sin is death. I know, right? You feel that. And he said in that moment, he broke. And, and he, he had such a hard time with that that he was angry, as we all would be, as we just got angry. And he's telling me this. And I'm thinking, man, that's horrible. So as a result, he's estranged from the body of Christ because of a bad representative of who Jesus is in clergy or in leadership. I don't know what to do. But then the Holy Spirit took over and told me what to do. And I reached forward and I grabbed his arm. I grabbed his, his hand. And I looked him in the eyes, and I said the strangest thing. I said, forgive us. I became that pastor that heard him. And I said, because I'm a pastor. All he knows is he's talking to me as a religious leader. So I took that weight of that burden, and I asked for his forgiveness. I said, we are human beings. We don't know what we're doing. I said, but you've not turned your. And as I spoke to him, he began to weep. His wife began to weep. We wept in the presence of God. And he hugged me and was so grateful because he had a kind of a a, a renaissance with his spirituality. But there are things that try to rob us of our spiritual experience. Of course, the devil is behind it. Of course, the enemy is behind it. Because he wants to break that. He wants us to doubt. He loves disbelief. I've seen meetings where the power of God has come and touched many, many people. And then after I've moved along and they've had these great experiences, the very leaders or pastors convinced them that it was the power of the devil and that what they experienced was not of God. Half believed the pastors and totally were turned off of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The other half came and told me what the pastor said and said, we don't agree with what he said. We know the experience we had. But they always see that. Look at the day of Christ. What greater supernatural happening was there than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? But they lied to cover it. They paid the guards. They bribed them to say that the disciples came and stole the body. All to nullify or attempt to nullify the power of the testimony of resurrection. So if you've had an experience in your past. If you've had an encounter, a stirring of the waters where you stepped in, something happened, and you experienced something, and now you look back and you think, I don't know. Well, you need to be very careful that you not allow the enemy to take the value of that experience. All those experiences are, I call, wells. They're wells that are dug into the bedrock of eternity, and from them you can draw eternal water. Every encounter, every experience, our testimony, in fact, is the lowering of the bucket in the well. And that's the key. If you speak it, you relive it. And I'm safe. All my experiences have been kept kept intact. I have no doubt about any of the supernatural experiences I've had. You know why? Because I'm a preacher. I'm constantly sharing these things. That's what I do. I sit at tables in Little India, Caleb and, and I go, and we, we uh, go there with Valerie, and we minister to the people. And uh, you guys are going to come this week. I'm excited about you coming to join us. They're, she's, they're both, as a couple, they're going to try to meet me out there in Little India. Anybody else want to come? Come. We can use your help. Because these are all people that are, you know, they, a lot of them are migrant workers. They're down on their luck. They don't, they're not getting the job they want. They're in trouble. Different countries, Sri Lanka, India. And we feed them a free meal right there in Little India on 36 Verasami Street, working with um, the Love Little India Outreach there. And uh, we interact with them. And I have an opportunity every time I go to share my entire story. And the story is supernatural about how I met Christ. And it's so funny because I often talk to people who are completely insane. I mean, these people are gone. Do you ever talk to someone who's gone? Their eyes are just darting around and they're, they're talking about elephants that bit them last night and they're just weird, weird things. I meet people like that. I'm okay with that. I love people wherever they are. And I found this interesting phenomena. If I say to them, the Bible says, they keep talking over me. If I say to them, Jesus loves them, they keep talking. If I say to them, I want to pray for you, they keep talking. They, do, they totally don't listen to me. But if I say, I want to tell you my story, they get quiet and listen. And I remember the scriptures that they overcame Antichrist, how, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So concerning spiritual happenings, which somehow could fall into a category of being dubious or I don't know about that. We're often skeptical about spiritual things. Why is it that my stories about those spiritual experiences is the only thing that can cause demons to shut up in these insane people? It's not one time. It's dozens of times I've seen it work. Your testimony is what manifests that power. And here we see this story, and I've discovered it. it's so easy to diverge from that, that That meeting in Mexico I told you about, where they told, and they did it with Jesus. They did it with Paul, poor Paul, everywhere he went and taught. The power of God would manifest. People would get saved, healed, and delivered. And then right after him, some Jews would come from Jerusalem to Judaize the people and convince them. It says, turn them away from the faith, literally. Their ministry was to follow Paul in debunk or to lie about whatever he told them and it's amazing how many people were swayed and believed the lies instead of what the apostle Paul preached to them because it's a war and it's always going on so you have all these people around this pool they've been waiting and hoping uh, but I can't help imagine that that not a lot of them were at some point tired of hope Tired of trying? Tired of sitting there by the pool? How many people do you think stayed for a season, didn't get anything out of it, and left? I bet thousands over the years. There's the pool. Go to the pool. Let's sit at the pool. It's kind of like one of those stories about, you know, the virgin mother appearing in Magigoria, or this, these different phenomena. People go there and try to get healed and experience things. Well, after a while, they may give up and move along. Same thing can be applied to our relationship with God. The same thing can be applied to your relationship with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus himself. And it happened. There were people, come and follow me. And they could not. And they went away, it says. Sad. The rich young ruler. These are people that had opportunities to have a genuine encounter with Christ and just couldn't do it. Hope has to be defended. You're going to have to keep your hope alive. You're going to have to protect it. One time I did a story about Jairus and the way that Jesus put the disciples around Jairus when he was told his, his daughter was already dead. Don't bother the master. And it reminded me of a football game or a sporting event where Jairus had the ball and the other players had to flank him so that he could make it all the way to the goal. And they had to help him because it's true. Once you hold something that is real, real faith, there will always be an adversary that comes against it, and we need help. And God's watching. If you show forth any effort to hold on to belief, hang on as long as you can, and like these people are waiting, all of them are waiting, but why aren't all of them healed? And then what I love about this story is Jesus does not heal any of these people except for one man. Why? There are other passages where it says Jesus healed every single person that came. Does it not? It says, and everyone was healed of all sickness and all disease. This story, this seems like a bonanza of sickness for a healer. I mean, if you're going to do healing, why not go where everybody's sick? Why not march into Glen Eagles or march into the hospital and just get everybody healed? If I were Jesus, I would do that. Well, it's so funny. When Jesus was at the hospital of Bethesda, only one person gets healed. And that's an enigma. Why, if all of them are there expecting and hoping, but the question is, what are they expecting? What are they hoping in? They were hoping for the stirring of water. I found sometimes Christians can become preoccupied with the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and miss entirely the Holy Spirit. Because they're looking at the process of another thing, which is a byproduct of the most important thing, which is a relationship with Jesus. So Jesus is watching. If you're holding on to hope, if you have a dream, a vision, a desire to become something, to do something, to maybe receive something from God, an enlightenment, a revelation, or an encounter with God, if you want to have a supernatural experience, you're hoping for that, but you've not yet seen it and you feel like one of these guys hanging around the pool of Bethesda waiting for the stern of the waters, don't give up. Because if you don't give up and you guard your hope and you keep pressing in, inevitably you will experience. You will receive. And Jesus is going to help you with that. Step number three. We see help for hope. One. Everybody say one. That's all we're going to focus on right now. It's just one guy now one at that pool, who was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. How many of you have a problem that's 38 years or more? Some of you are not even 38 years of age. As I'm getting older, I have underwear that's 12 years old. So, I mean, things, you know, you start having older things as you move along. But 38-year problem? No, I really don't have that outside of maybe a little bit of weight. Yeah, that's been there for about 38 years, but... That's my fault. My wife is a chef. I'm sorry. It's it's just something I cannot avoid. There's always the last night in my refrigerator. There's a big old thing of stuffing with uh, delicious shrimp in it, and all the you know the leftover Thanksgiving food that I have to eat. It's a mission. Somebody has to eat that food. But in this case, we see this man. 38 years he has this problem. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? First of all, when you read that question, it seems like a stupid question. Of course, that's a duh answer to that. Because why is the guy there? He's been there at that pool waiting all this time. He's waiting for the water to stir. So therefore, Jesus cannot be so naive or so ignorant about the realities of life, being that he was God in the flesh and made everything to begin with and was cognizant of that by the Spirit. There's no way Jesus asked this question really thinking that he should answer the question. Jesus was fishing for something to come out of the man. He was trying to draw something out of him. Do you want to get well? And the man could have said, well, what do you think? We're all here to get well. But just looking at this first part, Jesus took the time here to single this individual out. And that's my question. Why would he do that? Because it says he saw him. Well, Jesus Did not have this myoptic view of just him. Certainly he had to see all the others. And think about it, he probably had to step over a lot of sick people just to make his way to this man. So he saw everybody, but there's a difference. Jesus sees things and then he doesn't see things because he did not just see with natural eyes, he saw with spiritual eyes. Just like here, now, today, God looks into this room and all of us listening to a message, he sees different levels of of consciousness in spirit. He sees different attention spans. He sees different focus. He sees the scattered mind that's not listening. He sees the one that is focusing. He sees the hungry heart. And when he sees this man, he sees something that calls his attention and causes him to learn. He first saw, second, he learned This word means studied and found out. This means he investigated, probably asked other people about the man, saw the man over there and said, hey, see that man over there? Yes. Uh, What's his deal? How long has he been here? What's he been through? Why is he? What's his issue? And Jesus began to study the circumstance of everybody's problem. But he still is focusing on this one person and asks this question, Hope has to be defended and guarded, but Jesus is going to help the one who does it. If you're holding on to hope, Jesus is going to find your circumstance. He can see it. I'm always reminded of that passage. It says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Which means that's what he's looking for. Faith is luminescent to God's eyes. Faith makes you glow. Faith manifests in a way that God can see it. Because he would point and say, that is great faith. Or he would say, you have little faith. Which means there were different lumens in the levels of these people. Some were brighter than others. Some were very shiny with faith. Others were less. So there are degrees. But this man has faith of a sort and a kind that may not be so much purposed as incidental, but He ends up getting healed, as we know. I'm not, like, you know, um, spoiling the story. You know the guy gets healed. But he ends up getting healed, and the question is why. And that's really the key to this whole message. So Jesus sees him. He learns about him, and then he asks him, do you want to be made well? Step four, hope in him alone. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me, into the pool when the water is stirred while i'm trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me so really here we see the key to the whole thing why did jesus pick this man out maybe because he had no one else he says it i had no man if he had no man that means everyone else had a man In other words, each of the invalid people, each of the sick people had someone, a family member, a servant, a wherewithal to be shoved in, maybe enough mobility, not a full paralytic, but enough mobility, maybe just one arm worked and they could grabbed the cement, and pulled themselves over into the water. Or maybe they had a big, burly, massive servant there that someone hired to, like, just shove them into the water when the angels stirred the water. Who knows? Whatever the case, all of them had some mechanism, and this man had nothing. And it's interesting that that is what got Jesus' attention. Because we find that God, throughout the Scriptures, is a very jealous God. He is very jealous and wants full attention and wants to be your one and only. Say, so, well, can I love people? Even your loving people, He accepts His love to Him. Say, so when I'm hungry, you feed me. Whatever you do to is you're doing it to me. So really, He is very egocentric. He is very. Very self-focused, and he's the only one that has the merit to do that. He's God. He has a right to do that. You say, well, that makes him very selfish. No, he's very selfless. He gave his own son to die on the cross for us, so that's not the issue. The point is that he wants that restoration of all people to join with him. And this man had no other means, no way to help, and Jesus found out about it, and so therefore went to him to help him because there was no one else to help him. He had no man. In the video, when I'm sharing this moment, I'm talking about it, and I just kind of speak about that individual. I speak about that man and his feelings when he says, it's funny, when I posted the video, the subtitle says, I have no family member. And where I posted it's just where it's stuck in the middle of the video. But that was one point where I was saying, no tengo ningún familiar, which in Spanish is, I don't even have a family member to help me. I don't have a servant. I don't have, and for us it can be, I don't have the education that's sufficient. I don't have the certificate of the right kind. I don't have the promotion in my job. I don't have the good job to begin with. I don't have the right husband. I don't have the right wife. Uh, My kids are not obedient. Whatever, there's always a thing that we're depending on that if we don't depend upon it and we depend only on Jesus, we will see a solution. He must be our one and only. He must be our only. He is only all those things. We sang a song, earlier, you were only good, you were only poor, pure, you were only true, perfect and holy you are. I didn't write that accidentally. I wrote it thinking about the fact that he is the only one. I spend so much time each day reminding him that I understand that principle. That's a big part of my prayer time. Say, God, you are and I'm not. You are responsible for every good thing in my life, and I take responsibility for every bad thing in my life. You are wonderful and perfect. You're my only hope, my only treasure. I love my wife, I love my children, but they can't help me. I tell my own children, you know, daddy loves you, but daddy can't take you to heaven. I will always be, I will die for you, and you may still go to hell because it's your responsibility. You and Jesus only. You must connect with him and him alone. And that's exactly what this man does. Finally, step number five. As a result of his hope makes us whole, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. What an amazing thing. How many people there at that time that this happens, and he got up and does this, uh, wanted a piece of that action? And by the way, he did not step into the water. And there was no stirring. This happened superfluous to that. It was a separate event which says that no matter what we're hoping, sometimes we're hoping for a thing and have an expectation or have put God in a box and said, this is how I'm going to receive. God has to tap dance according to my, my musical theme or God has to do this because I said so. And that's not how God wants to do the thing he wants to do. That's why they missed the ministry of Jesus because he was not what they expected. That's how they missed missed entirely uh, the ministry of Paul because he was not what Judaism had declared it should be. So we have that same principle. This is where you see a hole bust in the ceiling and they lower a paralytic man down. No, they're working on the uh, fissures in the driveway out there. Pickup. You're and walk. Gosh, to hear those words, when God speaks to you, too, of course, if anybody else had told the man that, he would have laughed at them and said, can't you see I'm a paralytic? But something about when God really speaks to you, when he tells you it's different. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. It was a Sabbath, it says in that passage after that. In fact, Jesus did this, and Jesus just disappears. He walks away, and they're asking the man what happened. He don't even know because Jesus is gone. Jesus came to do that one miracle, just like he can do it for you. These are the five things we saw. As we read this, I want us to stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Five steps to wholeness. First, we hope for wholeness. Of course, we all have expectations. of The things that are missing in our life, we want that feeling that sometimes we have that we're not enough, that we're not doing what we're supposed to do. That's, that's a feeling that is often instigated by God to lead us to make something happen and just need to find the way, find the path. Uh, Sometimes we're waiting and we think that the answer is to sit by the pool. The answer is to wait for the stirring of the water and we have this logic that if we can just get in that water at the right time then we'll be healed. If we can just get in the water at the right time then we will be healed. But other people are beating me to it. So the very thing that is is our means or our path of wholeness is actually deterring us or stopping us from receiving what God has for us. And Jesus is looking for that. Jesus wants to prove himself to you. Jesus wants to show himself to you in a way that you could have never expected. He works through the things that surprise us. He works through the things that we weren't expecting, that we weren't looking for. That's why I like Kanye West so much. Because <laughs> God's using him to do amazing things that no one else can do. And of course, the, uh, the church world is angry at him. Uh, I've gotten a lot of trouble even this past week. People saying, you know, well, how do you know? It's, I said, well, look at the fruit. And they said, well, it's not always the fruit. Sometimes it's the root of the fruit the root of the fruit. But... It's amazing the Pharisees can say what they come up with. I look at the fruit. If you got apples on your tree, you're an apple tree. Amen. Jesus, Lord, all of us have issues. All of us have desires. We bring them to you tonight and we ask, Lord, that you would meet our needs. we have been waiting maybe for a certain thing to happen. Maybe we've been looking at the water, waiting for the angel to stir it. But maybe you have a whole different thing. Maybe you have a whole different plan. But one thing that we can make a commitment to tonight is that we're not gonna trust in anything but you. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we're gonna hope in the Lord our God. Jesus, here are one and only. Our one and only Lord you're the only one and we hope in you we put our faith in you we put our trust in you we don't look at the things below we look at the things above Jesus it's a good thing when we have no man it's a good thing when we have no one to help us in the water It's a good thing when we're debilitated or we're incapable because we don't have what everyone else has. It's a good thing because it means you have opportunity to single us out. So in all the areas of our life where we have not found a solution or we find ourselves waiting for something, Lord, let us learn a lesson from this man and declare tonight that we have only one hope and his name is Jesus and you, Lord, we put our trust in you Lord we put all of our hope and we know that hope will make us whole help us Lord to stand with our hope as we guard it I know you will come and you will see us you will see us you will learn about our situation as you know all things you will remedy us we're grateful Lord we're grateful Jesus thank you Lord thank you Jesus